Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey everybody, Tom Salemi here. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. Normally I'm handing this sucker off to Steve Krupa, but he is uh, not here. We have him on assignment someplace, darkest Peru or somewhere. Uh, No, actually he's got a work gig that he can't get out of. So here I am introducing this podcast all by myself, just like a big boy. Steve's guest, and Steve did do the interview, uh, is Eric Langshore. He's the co-founder and CEO of a very cool company called Avia. And Avia is an innovator network where it works with uh, health systems and hospitals, including some of the the biggies, uh, Sinai, uh, Memorial Hermann, St. Luke's, Baycare. It's it's all, if you go to aviahealthinnovation.com, it's got a list of the companies that uh, the health systems rather that it works with. And it helps those hospitals sort of identify opportunities for innovation uh, in, in digital health to help develop tools that they can use uh, to make their jobs easier. So it, it's a really cool setup. It's a, obviously a, a pretty broad uh, operation. And uh, Steve does a great job uh, talking to Eric about what they do and how they do it. So I hope you enjoy that conversation. Eric also happens to be uh, an author of a, a book that's done extremely well called Start Here. And mas- Start Here colon master the lifelong habit of well-being which uh, actually sounds pretty good i think i'm going to uh going to download it after i finish this intro and listen to it on my uh on my phone because it uh it sounds like a a a a timely uh a timely topic in this day and age so i hope you enjoy this conversation with eric langshire co-founder and ceo of avia Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Eric Langshire from Avia. How you doing, man? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing great. Thanks, Steve. Happy to be with you. I should have added in there, uh, you know, founder and uh, CEO and best-selling author, right? So we'll talk about uh, your uh, your work as a writer uh, in a little bit. Um, but I'd like to start by asking you how you got to this point. Um, you're in the healthcare business, you're an entrepreneur, you wrote a book. Um, what, what was the sort of inspiration that led you down this path to where you are today? Mm, the, the inspiration to become an entrepreneur or to start Avia or both? Or, you know, the, yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that I know is when you start a business, it, you know, it's got, it's inspired by something usually bigger than just the idea of, I want to start a business, right? Yeah. And you're in the healthcare field, which is, you know, there's a lot of other fields we can, we can apply ourselves to. So right. sort of want to understand what, what got you in those two places. Great. Well, I'll start at the top. I, I wasn't always an entrepreneur. I started my career in corporate America. I worked for a company called United Technologies for 13 years. It's an aerospace company that, um, that many Whitney? people know of. Yeah, I started with Pratt and Whitney. Were you a mechanical engineer by any chance, or chemical? No, engineer? no, but I did. I did go up through the manufacturing route, and in my last couple of jobs with with UTC, I I uh, ran their Hamilton Standard Propeller Systems business, 
and was president of their fuel cell division. And then I left to become president of a Canadian company, Bombardier Aerospace Services. And I did that for a few years, and that was a fun job. And then in 2000, I quit to start my first company, a healthcare technology company called CarePages. And CarePages came out of a personal experience associated with the birth of my first kid, Matthew, who was born in 1998, with a congenital heart defect. Matt was born with, with only half a heart. He was missing a left ventricle. So Matthew needed a, a three, in fact, open heart surgeries over the first 18 months of his life. And, and you know, it's hard to even think back to the Internet in 1998, but it was, you know, really in its infancy. And, and during Matthew's first surgery, when he was just about a week old, we created an HTML website that we used to keep family and friends informed of how Matthew was doing. What year was that, Eric? What year was that, just out of curiosity? 1998. All right. Yeah, that's when HTML websites became the the cool thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And by Matt's third surgery in 1999, this care page had thousands of of hits a day on it, and, and there was a message board where people could leave notes of support. And, you know, of course, we could let people know how Matthew was doing and how we were doing and explain what this this operation, what these operations were that he was undergoing. And, and a lot of the notes, you know, began with, this is a really cool use of the internet. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I uh, were really, you know, we always think that we had the, the great good fortune of finding our passion, you know, in, in life, something that we felt so strongly about to make this service available to patients and families everywhere. Because quite frankly, it was, uh, you know, it was really looking after our emotional needs. Sure. So we quit our job, and you know, Sharon's a, a pediatrician, and uh, she quit, I quit, and we started CarePages. And, uh, you know, we, we, first, we knew so little. Yeah. We thought, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, we'll go back. And, you go back you know, to selling another. airplane engines, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, uh, well, of course, there's, you know, there's the reality of, of things. Uh, you know, the business didn't uh, fail, but it didn't quite succeed either for four years. It just kind of bumped along as we worked to figure things out. And, and the Internet was really, really in its infancy. And, and of course, what we had created was a social network, but we didn't even know the term social network. So we ended up um, struggling for a bunch of years as we figured it out. You know, a core part of our business plan was, well, we're going to sell this service to hospitals. How hard can that be? Yeah, right. right? They're easy customers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, there was no line item anywhere for uh, for health systems to buy, you know, cool communication software that looks after patients' emotional no. needs. But, but you know what? I, we, I want to ask you a question. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, you know, yeah. just sitting here today and, of course, um, you know, I, you, you sort of started your HTML page around the same year that I started in Venture Capital, just FYI. Um, uh. and, and, look, I remember, okay, and, and, and I would have said back then, uh, well, if the hospital wanted to really differentiate themselves, they should, you know, at least introduce the service to families, uh, particularly in pediatrics, you know, right? Yeah. Uh, because it, it sounds like it would be a wonderful way to sort of be able to to communicate how somebody you're worried about is doing uh, without obviously having to field phone calls 24-7 from, from relatives and friends. And, um, 
And what always disappointed me was that you found out that, that nobody wanted to bother with those kind of ideas. <laughs> it was like, you'd first see them and you'd be like, this is going to be awesome. And then, you know, they'd be like, yeah, it's a good idea, but we don't want to do it. Yeah. It's just exactly it. Is that what and happened? We, you guys? Did you end up building yeah, a business well, on it? We ended up turning it into a fantastic business, software service. We private labeled it for hospitals. We brought it to 800 hospitals. It was, uh, it was a thing of beauty. And, you know, and, and the reason that we succeeded is because in the early days, there were people you know, like Al Weinstein, who was, you know, founder of Premier, and, and you know, Steve Corwin, in fact, who I just had dinner with last week, who was the current CEO of New York Presbyterian. But at the time, Steve was COO. And when I was telling him about this, he said, well, this is just the right thing to do. So we're going to do it. And, you know, Sheldon King, who had been the CEO of Cedars-Sinai and, and UCSF, and Sheldon was like, this is just the right thing to do. We're going to do it. And, you know, just a ton of people like that who, who got in touch with why they got into healthcare in the first place and, and took a chance on, you know, a, you know, a young man sure. who really didn't know anything about healthcare. Actually, quite frankly, I didn't even know very much about technology either, which is kind of funny. Uh, well, you were very but, persuasive, I can tell you that, because that's a tough you sell. Know, it's a tough sell. Yeah, but the, the, you know, the thing that we did is, is um, you know, we understood the product was about emotional needs. The president of our company was a nurse who was just the most, you know, an amazing person. And, and um, we ended up getting very lucky. We, we built a, a great business. We figured a few things out about, you know, how to turn it into an interesting tool. And we, we ended up selling it to Steve Case and Revolution in 2007. So at that point, I was completely hooked on healthcare. I mm-hmm. loved the industry. I loved being an entrepreneur and working for myself. And I love technology. So, uh, you know, fast forward, about five years ago, I started my now firm, Abundant Venture Partners, and we're not actually organized as a, as a venture fund. We're, we're a holding company. But we, we wake up every day and we think about improving the human condition, and we do it through the human wellness and investments, human performance, and human engagement. My uh, partner is a media guy, and of course, I had healthcare expertise. And so we, we, you know, set out to work to create the world in which we want to live by, you know, putting our sort of energies into building businesses and investing in businesses that we thought uh, were not just good businesses, but would make the world better. And Avia, uh, which of course we're here to talk about, started, you know, out of that when, you know. I started to think now as a newly minted VC, and this is something that you've been doing, as you said, since 98. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know how to, uh, you know, how to, 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 to outcompete guys like you who, who are great at what you do. Uh, so we needed to figure out some way to develop unfair advantage in, in identifying those best solutions that are going to help health systems transform care. You know, I love digital IT and, and services, and it's where I really wanted to play. It's what I, I came to know. Well, so I got we, to just ask you. A, yeah. <laughs> so I always, uh, I always say the grass is always greener. So I, I just think, uh, how hard could it be to run a business? You know, it's really hard to be a venture capitalist. And then, of course, all my friends that are running businesses are telling me that my life as a venture capitalist is is, is, is wonderful, right? 
Um, and you know, because because all 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 we do is go in and like opine on things, and then after we invest, we go to board meetings and throw ideas on the table and go home and leave it up to the management team to figure it out. And of course, that's just, that's sort of a uh, you know a little bit of a sarcastic view of the thing. But I'm I'm curious before you go on, uh, is it cooler to be a VC or is it cooler to be an operator? Actually, cooler to do both at the same time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I'll tell you. All right, so you're trying to get on my first, good side. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, you know, our our, our first year of, uh, of being a VC, and I'll tell you, literally doing exactly that, going to board meetings and opining, I found to be very unsatisfying. I, I you know, I found the work of going in and saying, okay, guys, I think you should sell more and spend less to be decisively, like, non-value add. Right, and <laughs> but the know? thing is, is when you would sell them that, you'd, You'd say it with all sorts of wonderful eloquence, right? So it didn't sound like right. It, right. it sounded differently, and then, uh, <laughs> and then, and then, and then, you know, I really ask myself sometimes because I'm, you know, running a business today, I've had to like do this flashback and say, um, how could I ever really know, right? If you're a if you're a if you're a VC and you're a board member, unless you're really close with the CEO. And, and I tried to be very close with my CEO. So sometimes I, I do know, but if you're not, how can you really know? How can you really know if your advice is nothing other than just a whim? Right. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, you gotta, you gotta know what's going on in the business. And, uh, and that's, I, I do think operators in VC make better VCs, uh, in the long run as well. Cause at least they're, they're, they're able to sort of sit in that, ch- that, that chair, and, and, and understand what might be what they might be throwing at somebody, right? Right. No, I think that's right. And but there's a certain discernment too that comes with the function that I've really grown to respect and appreciate. That, by the way, I don't really have because you know I am such a fan and friend of the entrepreneur that you know I want to I want to invest in everybody's idea and help them. <laughs> you know, so you know I've surrounded myself with people who who are, you know, deeply discerning, you know, borderline skeptical and critical, right? Uh, you know, and a little bit of that sort of dream crusher kind of orientation. Well, like, it's like rule number one is you don't get to run the company if you're a VC. So you, you really can't love the company and think of what you would do if you were running it. <laughs> you know, you've got to like right. love the company and love the guy that, or, or, or woman that's going to run it for you because, um, at the end of the day, unless you're going to make a habit of jumping into their shoes, uh, you've got to make sure both both go. I find sometimes I'll look at a company and say, yeah, I, I think I know how I could make that successful, but it's not going to be me. I'm just going to be making the investment. You know what I mean? Right. Get it. Get it completely. So, uh, and you know, what I go ahead? No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what I realized then in that first year is, is I'm really, um, I like being an operator. I like to be decisively engaged. Um, we also noticed, uh, my partner Andrew and I, uh, that the projects that we were more involved with were actually the ones doing the best as well. So, um, you know, we decided that we were going to, you know, also work to uh, start companies sure. and really build businesses. So over the five and a bit years we've been doing this, we've made 23 investments. We started nine companies. We've sold six. We have LOIs in place to sell two more, and it's been going, you know, really quite well. 
Very good. We, uh, Very good. we started Avia really out of the insight that, you know, A, we need to, you know, we need to do something to develop some unfair advantage of finding, you know, finding the best companies. But also in talking to friends who are running health systems that, you know, it, you know, roll the clock back four plus years ago now, that, you know, this mega trend of digital had started. And this, you know, increasing trend of, of money rotating into the healthcare IT investment space, you know, the, you know, ramping up very quickly, as you know, we all know the statistics, you know, largely driven by, by the fact that hospitals had entered the information age as they were sort of EMR enabled and, you know, and, and, and. And, um, um, and that, you know, most health systems at that point had gotten into the innovation business in some way, uh, but really didn't, you know, didn't know how to think about uh, measuring success or organizing for success or even how to, how to, you know, build governance around the innovation function. And our, you know, our insight was, well, if we were to bring the values of scale and collaboration to this work, we can actually help everyone accelerate. You know, that's one of the beautiful things about this industry is, you know, there is this, you know, geographic um, uh, disbursement where, you know, even in markets that are hyper-competitive, and, and there are some, uh, there's also a a willingness and a readiness to cooperate. And we just thought, why don't we pull the mechanism in place for health systems to cooperate mm -hmm. so that we can do all the work that they're trying to do individually and then on a bespoke basis, but do it for them as a purpose-built extender in a way where, you know, essentially they can rely on us, you know, not just to, to get, you know, important work that they need to do done more efficiently, but actually do it with, with a purpose-built team that has the skill set uh, and, by the way, the sort of the global perspective, you know, of just better knowledge because it's what we do day in and day out. Um, and that will help them not just move more quickly, more efficiently, but, you know, avoid making mistakes, avoid missteps, you know, avoid going down paths that they, they don't need to, um, and, you know, measure, you know, build in sort of measurement around, you know, driving the results that they need to, all in service of executing their strategy. Okay. And, you know, as it turns out, as we all know, most health systems have very similar strategic plans. plans. And so we start with their plans and develop digital roadmaps and then help them, help them um, um, execute. Let's take a quick break from this conversation to remind you that the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit registration is open. If you would like to attend the November 30th, Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit in Boston. You should sign up now. The last two events have sold out. We open registration early at the request of many and uh, happy to see the registrations are filing in. So please go to healthag.com. That's the word health, followed by letters egy.com and register now for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Again, happening on November 30th in Boston. Now let's get back into this conversation with Eric Langshore of Avia. So let me describe. Let me use a, a phrase to describe what it feels like. I, I just I just heard it, and then and then you'll correct me. It feels like you're scaling project management around digital initiatives for hospitals. Is that a way, is that a fair way to think about what you're doing? 
Yeah, that's that's one piece of it. We. Um, I mean, are you doing the project management work, or are you doing the valuation sure. work? Work. When, for where sure. does you, where do you start and end in, in terms of the value stream that you're delivering? Yeah. So yeah, it's a great question, Steve. When we started, it was a project management uh, function around selection. So you know, uh, you know, I'll give you just a, a perspective. You know, so seven health systems are trying to you know uh, deal with a certain issue. Call it you know, um, patient as consumer. You know, thinking through how are they going to you know, become more consumer-oriented, build loyalty, you know, engage, engage consumers, turn them into, into patients and loyal patients, um, and need to sort of get their arms around that. Mm-hmm. You know, what we would do is we would help them with, um, with an exercise to define, well, you know, that, that's a big mandate. You know, there's a bunch of different use cases and ways to go about it. You know, how do you, you know, how do you want to think about those use cases? What are the requirements? What are the universes, what's the universe of solutions that can help get at that? Um, and then, you know, we essentially, when we started, we'd run a procurement process, um, vendor selection process, and pull, you know, pull the health systems together, you know, through that process to, you know, to make a selection. Of course, they decide. And then we would help with implementation. Mm-hmm. So what we've learned from that as, as our work has become, you know, more and more sophisticated as we've earned credibility and respect and more knowledge with our, with our members, we've been invited in way upstream to help them think about, you know, what is starting with their strategy. So we don't define strategies where we begin with it. What are the digital roadmaps to execute their strategies? And, you know, to how do you organize to execute? You know, we know what best looks like. We know how to think about governance, decision rights, resourcing, you know, measurement, all those pieces. How do you build standard work into it? Um, then how do you leverage our knowledge base, which is now, you know, extreme across these different, you know, the different domains in which we focus? Um, and then importantly, how do you set up a, an initial implementation so that it can scale to success? How do you measure it, and then how do you how do you support the implementation itself? You know what we learn is these systems are extremely complicated. Everyone has a has a veto in the system, and this is why it's so difficult for solution companies to sell into hospitals. And then even once sold in, you know how do you how do you we implement? It takes you know it, it, it just the, the playing field is littered with carcasses of you know started but but really not expanded pilots. Uh, so our work now starts, you know, from strategy to, you know, measurement post-implementation, and, and we, you know, we're constantly refining the feedback loop there. That's interesting. That, that's, that, that's very interesting. So, um, so are you, you know, a subtlety is are you working on the same initiative or project for a group of hospitals? So... Uh, do you try to pull the hospitals together whose objectives are strategically similar or maybe even exactly the same, right? Yeah. And and try to create a single project to handle multiple hospitals or is it generally one hospital at a time? 
No, it's a very insightful question. It's, it's very much about not doing bespoke work. We segment our hospitals. We have academic medical centers. We have large, you know, faith-based systems, you know, Dignity and Providence and Trinity mm-hmm. in the network. You know, we have, you know, sophisticated IDNs. You know, we have a, you know, we have a, a really interesting cross-section that represents healthcare in America. Right. So we start by segmenting them because they're not all starting in the same place. And then we, we group them together around their shared aspirations. What is it that they're trying to do and where are the overlaps? And we, you know, we do the work literally leveraging scale and standard work. So we're, we're less interested in inventing one-off stuff, but finding, you know, finding ways for, and this is where the, the beautiful efficiency comes in for our members, for them to really take advantage of, of defraying the cost of a better product across, you know, multiple systems and, um, and going from there. Interesting. By the way, one of the, one of the things that comes out of it and comes out of our, our now perch and perspective, and it's, this is a great interest to health systems, is we've got amazing benchmark data. So we, we know what best-in-class looks like not just from within the industry, but outside the industry now, which, which you know, we can talk about back to linkages with Abundant. But we know what, um, what best looks like. We've got, you know, a great deal of benchmarking data. We, we, we know what best practices are. We build standard work. I mean, just think about the contracting, the function with, with um, a solution company with a health system. You know, it's not unusual for health systems to spend more on counsel than the actual pilot agreement <laughs> and, and certainly taking the, the company through it. And, and that's just, you know, and yes, 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 council are, you know, they're trying to protect the interests of the health system and they're, they're doing important work, but it's all been, it's all been invented before. It doesn't right. need to be reinvented over and over and over. All right. I, I, I want to get a little bit heavy with you for a second on this. Um, so, so obviously, you know, and I'm sure this is the case inside of your portfolio, there is, you know, rapid adoption of, for lack of a better word, lean and agile processes in the software development community today, right? None of us are doing waterfall uh, at all. We're trying to uh, operate under sort of the Toyota production system ideas of single piece flow or small batch sizes, quick feedback you know, be able to build software very quickly and very effectively. And one of the things that I notice then you take this, you know, mindset and you go out into the marketplace and you start selling uh, solutions to larger institutions and you find yourself bogged down in this never-ending process of not coming to a conclusion, not doing any experimentation, never getting any feedback but all about sort of this cover your basis process of evaluation. And then ultimately, frankly, in many cases, uh, project management. Can you talk about whether those ideas are, are becoming embedded in what you do? How are you adjusting the behavior of your customers, if you are at all? And, and, and what, what would be your sort of advice to hospitals as they start to adopt digital technology? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, we exist as an organization, as an entity, because of 
the challenge here and, and those forces. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult for, for health systems to, to make this transformation. And you consider, you consider the seismic, you know, just the seismic nature of this digital revolution and the change management that's required to, to go along with it. You know, someone said to me early in my care pages journey, you know, Eric, there's, there's kind of two things that go on inside hospitals. There's looking after patients and everything else. Right. And if you fall into the everything else category, it's going to be really tough. Right. Right. And, but um, the everything else is what keeps the lights on and it keeps the, yeah, the care being delivered, right? For sure. And increasingly with the imperative to just to, to do more with less. So, so another manifestation of, of, of the problem that you just described is essentially, you know, think about it, right? There's, there are thousands of to-dos on the to-do list of things that a health system needs to get done. Right. And they have, given the way that they, they are organizing, they work. And there's a lot of really good reasons why they're organized and work a certain way. They have capacity to do 20, right? 22, 23, 18, you know, 40. That, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a, a fraction of the speed with which they need to be going. And, and you know, we are in the business of, of being a partner to them just to accelerate. And it's really kind of cool. So we now have a fellowship program where we have a lot of our members, you know, from Presbyterian and, and Greenville, you know, some of our first fellows, they come and they spend, you know, a week at a time with Avia and they work here and they're, you know, they're getting inspired. They're learning. They're not just learning about the content, but they're they're learning about process and you you know how to how to you know bring sort of an agile and sprint like you know framework to work you know, to to all process. And they're bringing it back to their health systems. And um, you know it's really kind of exciting and, and interesting for us. But that's you know that's really what we're up to. Right. As you know to help to help drive this this shift and this transformation, which is just, it's, if you're the CEO in the C-suite of a health system, it's really, really um, complicated, difficult to work with a lot of forces kind of working against you in some ways. Well, very interesting. So I, I will switch, we'll shift gears uh, a little bit and talk about your life as an author. And I'll, I'll tell you the title of the book. It's, uh, and you tell me if I get it right. Cause I think I remember start here master the lifelong habit of well-being and i think my question when i talked to you before was it's a great title i want to read the book but it does that mean i have to stop drinking beer and i think you assured me that i wouldn't have to do that so tell me about your book because <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's true i'm uh, gonna have to read something else <laughs> that's funny. um that's funny the uh the book came out of a personal passion of mine, um, you know, around the subject of well-being. I've been a, a student of philosophy for decades now, and you know, after years of of reading and study, I you know realized that there's pattern. You know, we get adept with pattern recognition. This back to our conversation earlier about venture, started to to see that you know much of this timeless and ancient wisdom is you know, is really um, the same stuff. 
So my co-author and I distilled that wisdom into a framework. We then went to the science community, the neuroscience community, the positive psychologists, and we, we validated, wanted to validate what about this ancient wisdom actually works neurobiologically, you know, what, what is physically happening. And, and, um, um, and then we were able to translate you know, these big ideas into practices in a way that we can integrate them into our lives. So, you know, said another way, well-being now we know is a skill that can be trained. It's about training the skill of attention and it can all be done in a way where we integrate it into living our lives so that we don't have to stop and, you know, go join an ashram or move to India or, or um, kind of get off the, uh, the treadmill that we all seem to be on. Uh, we were really, you know, fortunate. Simon & Schuster picked up the book. They published it last year. We became a, a New York Times bestseller. In fact, the paper, paperback comes out in, uh, in May. We're excited about that. Uh, and there's really, really uh, wonderful linkages to the work that we do in healthcare, because if you think about, you know, what's going on, you know, in society at large, right? One in eight of us are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. One in seven have sleep disorders. One in three are obese. You know, we are we are impaired as a, you know, as a as a people. Uh, and we think about the linkages to that to business. You know, uh, business performance is truly a function of human performance and and we're not doing so great no. as as people and then in healthcare it's even worse so one in three people who touch patients are on antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds one in two are obese you know a, a million americans this year will lose their physicians to suicide I mean, think about that, right? I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Wow. And, you know, meanwhile, the first half of this conversation is really representative of us, you know, coming up with really new cool ideas that we want to drop into health systems to help them, you know, just do more with less and um, all require change. But, you know, in many respects, all sort of represent, you know, putting a new rock in, uh, in the backpack they're already carrying. So what we have to do in healthcare, and I think in you know in America and, and 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 truly globally, is get with this program of of investing in our own well-being, because there's you know there's a lot that we can we can do to just to to feel better, to be happier, to be healthier. Very good. And, and um, so you, obviously you must have gone on a book tour when you did this, right? Did you go and travel the country and? And uh, meet people as you were as you were uh, promoting your book. Yeah, we did a modest book tour. I wasn't that interested in just being on an airplane for for the summer of last year. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, now that it's and and look, it's no joke, right? I mean, New York Times bestseller. I mean, obviously, you've sold some some books, and you're out you're out in paperback. Let me let me ask you from 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 the inside in, inside in the book, what what would be sort of two. Um, Two two uh, mastery points from your book that uh, that would speak to most of the people listening. Yeah, it's a good word. We we actually have a master practice that we call notice shift rewire, and the um, the the key to making any change, you know, internally is is to be able to notice what's going on. And then when we we notice that we're stressed or that we notice that we're anxious, is just to is literally truly just to notice and then shift to any one of a number of um, of different practices and states 
and um, you know, I'll, I'll use compassion because it's relevant to healthcare, and, and there's a lot of compassion fatigue that's out there. Uh, you know, compassion is a beautiful emotion, and you know, the science of compassion is now well understood. And there's been you know a great deal of um, of incredible research coming out of uh, Richard Davidson's lab, for example, at University of Wisconsin in the Center for Investigating Healthy Minds. You know, we know that that a purposeful compassion practice will, you know, not just result in, in changes to, to our brain. You know, 30 minutes a day for two weeks, by the way, will we'll physically change the brain. Um, but make us feel better and, and uh, you know, have us show up differently in the world. So if we notice, we can shift, shift just to, to feeling compassion. It's as simple as, as, as sending compassion out to, to the world or someone in the world or, you know, including oneself. And then rewiring just involves staying with it for 15 seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, you know, leveraging the, you know, the, the reality of neuroplasticity that our, our brains can, can physically change. Uh, we can use our minds to change our brain. And, and in so doing, we, we begin to rewire our experience of being alive. So notice shift rewire, master practice, Shifting to compassion, shifting to gratitude, mm-hmm. you know, very, um, you know, very powerful, uh, very powerful, life-changing practices and, and easy to do, and no one needs to know you're doing it. Yeah, I, th- I find gratitude is a very powerful attitude adjustment. Like uh, when I'm really aggravated with whatever, you know, in life can aggravate you, um, kind of look at my kids and say, I-, I guess I'm doing all right, you know. And you, yeah, be grateful right. For the things you have, right? Yeah, I mean, we have so much to be grateful for. <laughs> we really, yeah. everyone listening to this podcast has won the lottery. It's true. It's it's absolutely true. Okay, well, listen, I, I think we're 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 down to the end of our time. This has been fun. I really enjoyed meeting you and and talking with you. Is, are, can you give us a couple of touch points for you out there? How do uh, how do the members and list that members of the audience listeners? Uh, find you? Do you have a blog? Are you a Twitter guy? Um, I know there's a website for, for Avia that they can obviously go to. So I am um, I'm coming up to speed on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good idea. <laughs> yeah, let's leave it at that. Um, okay. Having started a social network yeah. uh, 18 years ago. Um, and uh, but aviahealthinnovation.com is our website, and, and you know we talk about our, our members and what it is we do and how we do it. And um, the book Start Here is available on Amazon, and then your booksellers. And um, and my email is Eric at aviahealthinnovation.com. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Well, you're very welcome. It was, you know, great fun for me. So thank you, Steve. And that is a wrap. Eric Langshore, thanks for joining Steve on the Breaking Health Podcast. Breaking Health Podcast listeners, thank you for uh, for tuning in. And uh, please don't forget to uh, give us a ranking on iTunes so we know how we're doing. Tell your friends about the Breaking Health Podcast. Let them know if they're interested in healthcare and innovation. This is the show they should be listening to. Finally, feel free to shoot me an email at tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. 
let me know uh, who we should be talking to, what we should be talking about, or just uh, shoot me a message to say hello. We'd love to uh, correspond. So that's it for this episode. Once again, the uh, Digital Health Innovation Summit registration is open. Go to healthag.com to register for the Digital Health Innovation Summit. It's happening on November 30th in Boston.